following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Travelers Down Thunder Road, it's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your troubadour upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm not too bad, pal. Not too bad at all. Getting into the swing of these early evening recordings. Yeah, it's we're we're at that time of day where well not for much longer, but there is uh, light coming through the window still. It's one of those where we'll uh, we'll start recording when it's day and the sun will set as we're talking about thunder, which feels very appropriate. Would be very appropriate for a Sturgis show, but thankfully we don't have one of them for another couple of years on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's um, yeah, it's it's an, it's that interesting time of year. I'm seeing the uh, we were just talking today and in a group chat we're in about how um. Christmas things are out and September's not even over. Um, it's it's that weird time of year for retail, but also like given everything that's going on in twenty twenty, it's especially weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like Christmas things, I'm assuming you mean the Xbox or the PlayStation Five. Oh well, look, that's been monopolized in my last twenty four hours. <laughs> um, it's like what organ can I afford to sell on a black market to try and get one or both of these things? Uh, going forward i'm not entirely sure i am gonna hop on day one like i usually do to be honest this time no the um, the, the, the sage advice that i've seen going around is these consoles are not ready yet wait for generation two of them like yeah let, let them get the bugs out yeah that has happened before there was like um i think it was the not this generation just gone but the previous one um the 360 and the ps3 where mm-hmm. like a lot of the launch ones were just banjaxed within a year or two uh particularly the the xboxes with their red ring of death um as it was called yep. um and yeah you don't see a lot of those launch ps3s around which is a shame because they were the only ones that were backwards compatible to ps2 they'd play ps2 games on them and then they just got rid of that fairly sharpish um but yeah it'll probably be a couple of months there's nothing launch day that's that's blowing me away for either one so i'd be happy just plugging away playing fifa and whatever else on my my ps4 for a while uh, i mean you can just do the, the digital thing with fifa like buy it online buy it on the store and you can port it across instead of buying it again 
Yeah, I was hoping to have a very uh, another very 90s week because, uh, you know, on the last show I was talking about how I was going to finish the show and play some Tony Hawk, which I have been doing, and boy, is that a trip. But uh, I was hoping that once we finished this show, I'd get the chance to go and uh, play some Super Mario 64 on my Switch. <laughs> but uh, literally, I think a couple of hours before we, we started recording this, I got the phone call that uh, for some reason all the GameStops in Ireland, Nintendo have fucked up and they're not going to get them till Saturday now. Well, I think we know the reason, but we won't mention the reason. <laughs> well, look, I, I, it's funny when I went to pre-order my Switch, um, which came out like right before we, I went to Carrot for the first time. I mm. think either the first or second time. I can't remember which time. I think it was the first time. But anyway, um, when I went to to pre-order it, I was like, oh, how many people are getting it in the first wave? Like, how many consoles are you getting? And your man was just like, honestly, we don't fucking know. He's just like Nintendo. Don't tell us how many they're sending us until we open the box when the courier brings <laughs> us. <laughs> and it would seem in the three years since Nintendo haven't really changed tack. But, uh, you know, what can you do, I guess? Um, Since we're mentioning game and some gaming, have you watched the oh, high score series? Master, master of the Segway. <laughs> yeah, listen, getting good at this kind of podcasting game. We've only been doing it for two years. Look, I'm um, a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't watched High Score yet. I hear it's very good. Have you been watching it? I have watched a couple of episodes. For someone who isn't as ingrained in the gaming scene as you will be, but I do like the history elements of it. It's very good. Yeah, I the way it was described to me uh, by friend of the show, Mark Robinson, he was saying that like, you know, maybe 80% of it is stuff me and him mm-hmm. might already know, but he's like, the presentation is very entertaining and yeah. there still will be some stuff I don't know. Yeah, I'd imagine there'd be one or two things you'd pick up that you would never have known or heard about, you know. Um, yeah. But I mean, for somebody that, like I would know, say, 30%, 40% of the stuff that they talk about, but like they mm-hmm. kind of known like the goings on, like the background of Nintendo US and how it launched and then Sega and coming into the scene stuff like that like it's all very fascinating to me mm. yeah they uh, I watched the like the opening sequence of it on, on YouTube or somewhere where he, your man who designed E.T. is talking about how like you mm-hmm. know that was the game so bad that it nearly crashed the whole industry the, the whole industry was shattered for a year or something yeah I love that kind of shit, like getting in under the hood of a, a kind of like a, a popular industry and uh, uh, talking some of these stories that maybe not a lot of people would know about. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of what draws us, I suppose, as as adults to a lot of wrestling and to even to WCW is that like we had one layer of entertainment watching WCW as doe-eyed kids and then mm-hmm. another layer when you start kind of like reading message boards or reading the, the sheets uh, and finding out like the you know the politics of play and stuff like that and I think I'm at the point where much as there's loads of WCW matches I actually really enjoy over the years most of which we do not cover on the run <laughs> of this podcast unless we do special episodes yeah yeah on our pick your poisons we co- we we cover some um but um i i'm like i find myself a you know ever since the company closed i find myself more and more fascinated by it the more i learn about it reading death of wcw or mm-hmm. or nitro or, or hearing like podcasts or interviews over the years um it's just that like that inside baseball really scratches a particular intellectual itch doesn't yeah. it Gen- generally listening to whatever eric bischoff is saying and believing the opposite is always a <laughs> yeah, yeah. good uh, th- route to go as well um yeah it, if you listen to um if you listen to like Bischoff talk about an event and then Russo talk about the same event and try and figure out a version of events that doesn't agree with what either one of them say that's probably the truth <laughs> and if Hulk Hogan gives his version on events but well, then you're really in a 
bother someplace. Yeah. <laughs> because cutting through that amount of bullshit is not healthy for anyone. <laughs> yeah, because, like, so, yeah, there's always, like, with Bischoff and, and Russo, I always get the uh, the vibe that they consciously know they're lying. But with, with Hogan, it's a thing where, like, Hogan has been telling these lies for so many decades now that, like, I genuinely do believe he has forgotten what the actual truth is. I mean, Andre the Giant, 800 pounds. Yeah. I Like, I'm sure he's he's probably 2,000 pounds by now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, it, it's it's Hogan and we kind of hand wave him and just kind of say, ah, look, leave him to it and fucking whatever. But, you know, just... The thing, the thing with WCW history is everyone has their side of the story and yeah. generally it's not that anyone will tell you the full truth that you need mm-hmm. to take a nugget from here, there and everywhere and that that's what we seem to like we, we enjoy doing that on this show yeah it almost feels I suppose it, it probably scratches a similar itch to like uh, you know true crime and things like that where you're picking up like nuggets of information mm-hmm. you go well you know that's being confirmed by this other person who I would have no reason to lie about this so that part must be true <laughs> and you know um, yeah it's interesting there are a lot of things I suppose that, that we've already have covered and that we will cover on this show that maybe we'll never actually get to the bottom you know of of who did what who knew what on on certain things and i, and um, I mean when, when we come to like the late 99 2000 era like um sean stasiak follows me on twitter so i'm sure he has recordings of the locker room from around that time <laughs> that he would be glad to share with gtv me. tapes <laughs> <laughs> is that is that like the best like insider rib ever played on tv that he was supposed to be the one behind gtv yeah, and then his like punishment when he came back during the invasion of having him be the biggest like idiot in goof, the entire yeah. the fact that he was the biggest goof uh during the invasion period uh, when that was a, a period where Perry Saturn was walking around with what he believed to be a sentient mop <laughs> and Stasiak looked like a bigger idiot and also a former boy band member who suddenly thought he was a superhero like it's uh it takes a lot to come off like the biggest idiot in that group and, you know, they did it with Stasiak. And Although, they, they, to be fair, I, th- I I thought it was comedy gold, those repeated segments on SummerSlam 01 of him trying to attack the rock and run mm-hmm. him into walls and stuff. Was that on SummerSlam 01, was it? Yeah, it was, he had, was it, he was, he was talking to, was he talking to Regal or somebody and like, he just very calmly sidesteps and boom, into no, the wall. No, that, that was, it wasn't Regal, it was the interviewer that wasn't Cole coach what it wasn't no it wasn't coach and it wasn't Josh Matthews was it Carpella it was, was it was it before Grisham yeah before Grisham um was it, was it Kevin J- Kelly no was it Carpella something Carpella he had like the Michael Cole oh. frosted tips oh I, I do you know what I'm gonna be firing that up after this podcast to find out <laughs> But um, before we get, uh, we've already kind of dipped into the pro wrestling, but I'm just going to pull back just for a brief second. Um, we have uh, revived our fantasy football league for this year. So anybody that's into uh, the Premier League, into soccer, uh, can join us. We've renamed it from the Nick Lambros Memorial Shield. This year it's called Large League Appears. Um, so if you want to join, uh, we'll keep it open maybe for a week after this show posts and then I'll close it for, for new members. Uh, I think at that point, some people, not us, but some people will be too many points ahead for it to really matter if people joined after that. But uh, if you do want to join, just go to uh, fantasypremierleague.com. 
set up your team and then go to join private league uh, and our password is ivqqvs uh, i think i posted out a link already uh, at, the, at wcw thunderpod on twitter if you'd prefer to just follow the link it's, it's on there somewhere um but we had a good bit of crack last year uh, for the four or five weeks we remembered at the start uh, and the four or five weeks we remembered at the end <laughs> and i was just gonna say i'm gonna get my loading in early between yeah. the two of us i won the first week <laughs> yeah yeah by by two points coming down to the last game of the weekend of course but still look we'll, we'll take uh, any small victory yeah enjoy it while it lasts brother that's all i'll say <laughs> um but look we're here to talk about uh episode 33 of thunder dated september 24th 1998 uh from uh norfolk virginia uh, D- dave um, i think you forgot one very important part of the show oh have you not thought about it is yet Please enlighten me. Well, I mean, this is normally your favourite segment of the show. Oh? We need to know, though. Oh, of course. What are you drinking oh this week? God. What's your beer my of thunder? God. See, we've gone, because we've reset our taping schedule. I'm all over the place here. The beer's of thunder, of course. Jesus, how unprofessional of me. Let's just reel straight back there. Our beers of thunder are uh, adult beverages that help us get through this mm-hmm. show, and, and this show is no exception. Uh, Lee, what have you got in the holster this week? So this week, I kind of let you know in advance, I said I'm very much on the Red Ale train, the Irish yeah. Red Ale train, just now that you have set me on this path. So I'm gone <laughs> with it, 8 Degrees brewery Brewing Sunburnt Irish Red Ale. And it has a caramel malt and bitter orange taste. And I must say, it is quite nice. Yeah, I, I really kind of... The red ales have been a revelation for me this year. I'm, mm. I'm glad you're on the train. Uh, and that sounds very much like one that would be up my street. And it's, all, it's also ale, a very fancy can, which is very much even more up your street. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think um, red ales are very much... As we're coming into that autumn-winter kind of time mm-hmm. here, red ale is a nice, nice full beer to to be enjoying so yeah i think i'll be uh once i work through the last of my my last craft central delivery i think my next order is going to be a lot of red ales and similar i do like a golden ale as well in fairness um i've actually gone another way this this weekly and maybe that's part of why i forgot because i haven't got a can in front of me i've got a glass i went with spirits um and as as we are both noted on the show as being whiskey enthusiasts, mm-hmm. I went with uh, the other member of my Japanese whiskey collection. Um, so I think I had the Nikkei Days that was uh, bought for me by a friend of the show, Jack Lazell, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a month ago on the show. Uh, and this time I've gone with one that, that I got uh, in an airport where all the best spirits are bought, really. Um <laughs> I have uh, Nika Whiskey from the Barrel, and this is a, a lovely little number, Lee, that is a 51.4% ABV. Oof, that will put hairs on your chest. Yeah, so I may, uh, that also may be why I forgot the beers, <laughs> because I've been having a couple of sips uh, on our little pre-show chat. Um but yeah, this is very enjoyable and I'm enjoying it uh, because it is uh, very warm here in the, the Days of Thunder studio this evening. Uh, I'm enjoying it with a nice cold Coke Zero as well, um, just to space it out and make sure that I don't melt over the course of the program. <laughs> but anyway, back to where we were. Thunder episode 33, September 24th, 1998, Norfolk, Virginia. 
Um, we are one month away from Halloween Havoc and uh, we are being told by Tony that on this show we'll get a DDP interview and what he describes as the greatest wrestling action in the world as always apparently uh, tonight we have uh, Ric Flair and the Horseman who defied Bischoff's threat from Monday not to, not to appear they are here tonight Bischoff as we would later learn is uh, allegedly at least in Japan uh, and also we have uh, Goldberg versus Canyon which I incorrectly wrote as Conan on my notes and thankfully if I hadn't watched this show uh, for a few days I might have actually thought it was uh, Conan that's how some of these tapings go they just all run into each other so Um, one thing that I think we've come to learn through this whole run of Thunder is that when Eric Bischoff wants Rick Flair to show up on Thunder he won't but when he tells him not to show up he will yeah it's interesting reverse psychology going on there (laughs) It's just very like uh, Ric Flair is like the willful toddler. It's like, well, I'm not doing what you tell me to do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go up them stairs to bed. <laughs> yeah. So so Bischoff is just like, well, look, me and a couple of the lads are in Japan this week because Jericho's in Japan. Norton's in Japan. Eddie is in Japan, as we discussed on Nights of mm-hmm. Nitro. So he's like, we need to pop a rating. So I'll tell Rick not to show up <laughs> and they'll definitely show up and pop a rating. Uh, speaking of popping a rate and of course we have hot action to start the show Lee as uh, Hugh Morris debuts his new haircut uh, haircut. Jimmy Hart by his side against Rick Steiner Um, and like I don't it's it's they're doing the thing here again in this match where they keep calling him humorous as if we're not going to get the joke and it's really starting to get on me at this point it's really starting to annoy me um, but I just noticed like he had what I, I think people on wrestling Twitter would now call an equivalent of like the Sasha boo-boo face where like <laughs> Hugh Morris is coming out here with a face of thunder I couldn't describe whether it was that like I, I couldn't decide should I say whether it was that he was really sad or that like he was just getting he was just in the queue to go into the toilet when they said oh you're up and he had to just go and he's just like holding it in and he's like mm. <laughs> Do you know what I think? On the it, way out, I think it's even a bit simpler than that. Go on. I think he saw his name next to Rick Steiner, <laughs> yeah. and I think he knows he can't bully Rick Steiner. Yeah, and uh, yeah. whatever, whatever if, he, if, whatever if, he lays in, Rick is going to lay in even twice as hard. <laughs> yeah, if ever there was a man to bully you back, like uh, a Steiner brother will do the job. That's for sure. Um, Bobby, so the, uh, Bobby Heenan at the start of this match suggests, uh, you know, after we had all the issues at the pay-per-view with Buff crying wolf over the neck, uh, he said, now that he's cried wolf, he might get hurt now and no one will believe him. Um, and then um, there was an interesting moment where Tony, at first, I think he said like something like, yeah, well, good. And then caught himself. He had to think he about said, it. Yeah. Of course, uh, of course, I don't want anyone to get hurt. <laughs> Um, but I mean also uh, fuck but fat girl yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um, I'll tell you he's one of the guys that I have come to like appreciate even more um, doing uh, the run down Thunder Road here is Rick Steiner god I love a bit of Rick Steiner I thought um, you were really going to say Hugh Morris there yeah. oh god no <laughs> I enjoy him even less than I did uh, remembering him from uh, when I was uh, a child um, but yeah no um, I, I, I do agree I think Rick has been like Look, he hasn't been a highlight in the show, but like no. matches like this, like where you just see him lay into somebody, 
and like throw a yeah. couple of suplexes. That's mm. that's what we enjoy. Yeah, like he's just, you know, back to, you know, Team Beefy Dad days. He's just a guy, he's going to get in there, he's going to throw, like you say, some good-looking suplexes, throw some good-looking strikes, uh, rough people up. It's going to be a bit action-packed. You know, we kind of, uh, on Nights of Nitro, we were slagging off. You know, he's not the most, he's definitely, uh, of the two brothers, the least confident and competent on the microphone. Mm -hmm. But he does have this, like really bizarre charisma about him at the same time he's just one of those guys that you know with a live mic maybe not so much but he has like um yeah. a physical charisma i was just gonna say that physically intense charisma and it like it shines through to the audience like you like that mm. that dog bark is over like the roo, roo, yeah. little thing he does like when he fucking suplexes somebody um yeah like people like that um this is gonna be a weird comparison I look at him and I think of Jeff Cobb without the moonsaults. Yeah, like, so I, I will say he's probably had, like, higher highs, you know, mm. in terms of, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff, Big Jeffrey uh, has had some good matches in his time, but, like, you know, nothing uh, would have a patch on, say, like, the peak Steiners. Yeah. Um. But there's a similar, as a single, I see it, yeah, in terms of, like, how powerful he is mm -hmm. and how he's just missing that something. Understate, like, that kind of, like, just you can see there's something there and you just, you want to try get it out. Yeah. It, it, it's something yourself and myself, uh, uh, you know, and our friends, when we, we've been at shows in the past that, that Jeff Cobb has been on, it's just, like... I don't think there's any wrestler in the world that we consistently will on more mm -hmm. just to break through to that next level. Because when you see it in flashes, like the, the guy could be one of the best there is. Um, and I guess maybe like if Rick Steiner, you know, if, if Rick Steiner had that physical charisma, had that ability in the ring, uh, you know, but didn't look like Rick Steiner, he probably would have been a bigger star. <laughs> Do you know what I was just going to say? I still think one of my favourite Jeff Cobb moments was at a yeah. tag league where he tried to do Angelico's dance and shrug off his own jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, just little moments like that, but you, you'd never trust him to, like, because he seems like such a nice guy that, like, you'd never trust him to cut a mean promo. Yeah. You know, the meanest he ever was was when he was under a mask not speaking as Matanza. Um, which I like. I was a huge fan of the the monster Matanza Cueto, but uh, yeah, I just look. We I suppose we'll know in a month or two uh, if Big Jeffrey's ever going to kick on because like after six months of quarantine, being put in that A block in the G one, like if you're not going to have a, an absolutely killer tournament, I, I don't know I, I, with that kind of murderers row of wrestlers, uh, I, I don't know if there's any hope for him to kick on after that. I would love. I would adore if Jeff Cobb could just go in, face Udro, and just suplex him for five minutes. Just throw him around the ring. <laughs> yeah. And then... Just be like uh, Brock and Cena. Yeah. And then, like, when he faces off with Suzuki, just fucking show some fire. Like, mm. just fucking, you know, lay it in like the way Suzuki would. That's all. Like, I just want yeah. Cobb to kind of step up a bit over the next couple of, yeah. what, three weeks? Or so. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that, I've, um, I desperately want that. 
Yeah, I've seen him show that that aggression in in brief flashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two matches of, in particular I think of, uh, and I'm not going to mention either of them because of his opponents. And each one of them, um, I'm I'm not going to ever talk about again publicly. Um, oh yes, I, I but when you, s- yeah, when you see it, you're just like, oh, if only he can tap into that more consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of Rick Steiner as well. Is that like Rick Steiner is at a solid, you know, whenever you see him have a singles match or whenever you see him kind of show a bit of fire in a singles match in particular, he's up there around like the 7.5, 8 out of 10 in terms of uh, in-ring for the time in particular. Like I am yeah. grading on a curve of the late 90s where the ring quality wasn't quite what it is now. But it's just that like extra bit of whether it's being as as captivating on the mic as his brother, even when his brother is talking shite. Um, or just like the fact that he does look like a da and not like a wrestling <laughs> superstar, which worked for him in the team with Scott, because you yeah. always had Scott there looking like he was he was cut from marble. Um, but you know, it, it as much of it is still a, a body guy business in a lot of ways, it really was in the nineties, and like that guy was never going to be given a proper run on top to see what he could do. Like, um, I, I wonder would he have been better off being slotted into another tag team like not long after this yeah yeah he might have been um just put him with somebody that maybe like is more of a star than him but can't mm. like maybe wrestle as well as him like say if you need put in with a hennig yeah. you know who is who is starting to like his he, we've said it before in the show like his body is really starting to let him down mm-hmm. at this point but he's still a very charismatic guy like if you had uh, Rick and Hennig with with Rude managing them like that's a that's a powerful that's an all star right team there. yeah 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 um but anyway um we have uh, Rick comes out with a corner like roaring early on with some re- like it, this is something we talk about his great suplexes and his great power moves and stuff like that but like Rick Steiner throws a hell of a right hand as well doesn't he <laughs> he does he really does and he he throws a couple to start the match and it just fucking I'm really glad to see Hugh Morris get hit hard. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially with things that have come to light in recent years. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a bit where uh, he did it on, on uh, I think it was on Nitro as well, but um, seeing it here against a bigger guy is even more impressive where Rick gets uh, whipped into the ropes and as Hugh Morris is running at him, uh, Rick hits a capture power slam. Yeah. And, you know, like, you do it on a smaller guy and it's like, oh, yeah, look, that's a, that's a reasonably cool-looking thing, but, like, Morris is a unit. You know yeah. that's like that's tremendously impressive. Um, it 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 is, and it's like one of those things that looks very simple, but yeah. like that that body control, and he makes it look so effortless. Yeah, because like you you got him like obviously the guy is jumping up for him, but he's got to catch mm-hmm. him, like plant one leg and pop his hips around, you know, without like. Get, given way to this guy that must be like you know somewhere in the 250 to 300 range surely yeah. um so he, he then waffles uh jimmy hart with a right hand uh, and morris goes to check on him but he gets clotheslined over the top then rick goozles jimmy but uh he he kind of like hesitates long enough that morris can get the heat uh he goes up top then but he stalls too long and hits an elbow onto nothing rick hits the bulldog off the top for the win uh, on the way out, he attacks uh, a security guard, and I thought that uh, Minoru Suzuki watches his Rick Steiner tapes. <laughs> I was so like confused by him going after the security guards, and he like I don't know, I don't even know if the guy like was in on it or not, or but like Steiner found it hilarious, so you know, good for him. <laughs> yeah, the world's most dangerous shooter, right there. 
uh, Rick Steiner. <laughs> uh, we get a flashback next to uh, it's something I think we get three flashbacks during the night. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, we do. <laughs> ab- abysmal segment. Be thankful it wasn't this week that we were doing the uh, the Knights of Nitro, and it's um it is Warrior with Disciple in the rafters. Hogan saying he wants his disciple back, and Warrior just staring him down, but. Unfortunately, we would get Warrior speaking uh, in another flashback later that night. I thought we were going to be mercifully spared, but here we are. What, did, did you get the imagery of the disciple kneeling by Warrior's side? Uh, yeah, it's the most cheap fucking panto ass. Oh my god, I hate this. I had forgotten. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, since we, since Warrior returned, I've been talking about how it leads up to this, like, all time terrible match that you haven't seen in its entirety yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, like, you know, the two things it's notable for are that uh, horrible match and the, uh, the, what happens to the main event on that program, which we'll talk about on the Halloween Havoc show. Um, but something I had forgotten was this whole thing with the Disciple and the One Warrior Nation. And holy shit, it's even worse than I remembered or and even worse than... Uh, I think it was one of the things where when you read... Again, I, I'm plugging it for the second time on the show. But uh, when you read at the WCW and, and Alvarez and Reynolds are going over it, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff they play up for laughs. But this is one of the things that I think they played down how bad this was. <laughs> Do you know what they actually might have I haven't, I haven't read the book in a long time but yeah like like this fucking warrior this warrior stuff is just so fucking bad and it's do you know what I know it's not for another couple of weeks till we get there but it's understandable why warrior disappears again yeah in spite of having a one year contract worth a lot of fucking money yeah did you um did we talk about you know when they did the bait and switch with the fake warrior in the in war games did we talk about who that was we did not so do you know who it was was it van hammer it was the renegade ah oh for fuck's sake uh fulfilling fulfilling his long destiny of like i don't know if anybody remembers when the renegade debuted as the renegade warrior but Mm -hmm. was essentially the warrior ripoff that uh hogan brought in was it the ultimate surprise and Uh, it was like he was shrouded in smoke and it's like somebody who distantly looked like the warrior and they were trying to play it off like it was warrior was was this got to do with like the ultimate solution match Mm, it might have been I think I it might have been just before that maybe yeah I can't remember Um, yeah. but yeah it, it's ah oh, yeah fucking the poor renegade like the I think the guy committed suicide not long after he was released from WCW yeah pretty yeah it was um, like I think 99 or 2000 yeah mm, like the, the the poor guy was obviously promised a world and just fell apart could, ne- could never get his head around it yeah and it was clearly like you know we talked about we watched a renegade match there recently on nights of nitro and like he was a guy who was definitely not only promised the world but he was put in there long before he was ready do you Mm -hmm. know he had he definitely had the look do you know what i mean if he had been packaged as something else and you know if he'd been given a bit more time to actually learn the ropes they could have got something half decent out of him like you know people do slag goldberg because goldberg was not exactly you know kurt angle as as mm-hmm. a, as a wrestler, as a rookie, yeah, and look what they managed to make out of him. Like he could have definitely made something half decent out of him, you know, given him the time. But mm-hmm. obviously, WCW is prioritizing doing their discount warrior shtick. 
Um, so yeah, that poor guy. But I just thought it was like a, an interesting full circle moment that he got his chance to be the the cosplay warrior uh, uh, in the uh, in war games. Next up, we have Ernest the Cat Miller versus a returning Nick Dinsmore. <laughs> he got an entrance and, this time. Yeah, he did. He didn't just get already in ring this time. Um, and the cat comes out and he's sassing and he's, you know, giving the two finger salute to plant fans all over the place. Uh, which is, you know, in 1998, you can't be flipping off the fans without drawing uh, comparisons to the biggest star in the business at the time. And these comparisons, not favorable to the cat, I would say. <laughs> Um, yeah I mean just the cat whole fucking pre-match spiel I mean are you as bored of it by now as I am uh, yeah and I think this is only like the third maybe fourth time we've we've heard him do it and like it's the same shtick like not only is it the same shtick every time because there's no problem with doing like say Conan does his same shtick but it's over the cat's doing his same shtick it's not over and not only that but it's the same thing every time where he does the count to three and the guy just attacks him at like 2.5 or you know refuses mm-hmm. to leave the ring it's not only the same shtick but it leads into the same payoff match. every single time <laughs> yeah. and the same shite match like yeah mm-hmm. um nick dinsmore as well looks about 14 years old here he looks so young yeah and, and like I know last time he was on the show like we never really get like a proper clean look at him like as yeah. he's making the entrance here you can see it's Eugene you know um, but god he looks like such a baby yeah and I think he only has I don't know if we ever come across him again on Thunder I couldn't be sure I think he gets a couple of more WCW matches and then sometime this year is when or sometime late this year early the following year is when Cornette goes down to OVW and makes it a like a proper developmental and those mm-hmm. guys are, are just done then uh, yeah. doing dates for WCW um, what what did you yeah. think of Din, Din, Dinsmore like hot start in the match actually getting some offense in yeah, it was strange because like we're so used on Thunder to um, just complete squashes. And this is yeah. a guy who obviously wasn't under contract. So it was interesting, um, especially when he, you know, he acts exactly like a WCW employee and attacks the cat while he's taking his jacket off. <laughs> Dave, I feel like you have a rant ready about this. I hate it. Like, <laughs> Lee, you know, I, I think... <laughs> Very early on, on on Days of Thunder, low those many years ago at this point, um, I talked about how like one of my least favorite things in all of wrestling is crowd brawling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate it because uh, it kills a live crowd because the live crowd can't see what's going on. And it, it rarely, rarely looks good uh, when you're watching it at home as well. You know, I, I just think it, it just doesn't, it, it almost never works out the way they think it's going to work out when they're laying the match out. Something I have become very aware of watching uh, almost all of 1998 Thunder now is how often this, somebody has taken their jacket off at the bell and gets attacked. At first we were kind of chuckling at it because it seemed to just happen to Sting and it happened to him every single week yeah. on the show. Poor, poor Sting, I, like just could never get that jacket off. No, and you know, when it's just happening to Sting, there's kind of a little bit of comedy to it, and you think maybe uh, Sting really, you know, likes doing that spot to to give the heel heat. Like I, I thought, okay, maybe that's a, st- a thing Sting likes to put in his matches to give the guy cheap heat at the start. Fair enough, but now that it's crept all over the card, and I'm noticing it all the time, and I like I can't remember 
the last you know run of shows we had where this didn't happen at some point i fucking hate it so much and i talk about these tropes i hate in wrestling so much (laughs) and i rarely get a chance to talk about the ones i love either so this is where a little question came to my mind when i was watching this and we haven't heard your least favorite uh wrestling tropes before lee do you have any off the top of your head that like if we could if 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 they put us in charge of the biz what would you outlaw day one do you know what one thing and it annoys me so much is referees missing outside interference because they're looking outside the ring at something else yeah it it drives me mad you can hear in the background something that's happening a a wrestler didn't roll back into the ring and then just lay on the mat yeah like he he didn't like of his own volition get back into the ring Mm. going past you and then all of a sudden fall to the mat like it's just the one of the dumbest things it's always bothered me yeah and especially when you know numerous wrestling companies have broken the logic of that by sometimes having a ref come out from the back and Mm -hmm. say oh this happened you know and then reverse the decision so like if at least if you're gonna do it have it be consistent consistent. yeah uh, and you know point out how bad the refs are you know but like yeah the peripheral vision of refs is definitely one i can get on board with i think um the i suppose you'd call it the twin magic spot yeah i i hate that i hate the, the the swapping places because we we look similar uh, I, I I only loved it once, Eric Angle. Yes, that was the only time it worked. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I generally hate that as well. Uh, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, what 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 are two? Uh, what's a trope that you love? I I talked about this on Twitter recently, um, because it came up on AEW. Um, something I absolutely love is a wrestling wedding. And I don't say it because, you know, I love weddings or, you know, on TV or anything like that. Like I'm a big soap opera fan. But what I mean is there, it, it's it's the ultimate Chekhov's gun setting because there's always a cake and someone is always going to go in it. And something I, I, I said when I was talking about that is if my wrestling, my televised wrestling, if once a year they can give me someone going in a cake... So the the even better one someone going in a river slash lake slash pool you know like a, a spring break uh-huh. nitro or um you know someone throwing someone's belt in into the river as has happened in wwf wwe a bunch of times yeah. um um and then the other one that i had that's a specifically aw one if uh, hangman page can enter uh, a match on a horse once a year absolutely okay with that the other one as i'm talking about that i absolutely love is uh, wrestlers in their gear in the real world (laughs) Uh, do you know what it's another trope it's it's more wwe thing but wrestlers constantly being in their gear annoys me so much wrestlers what constantly being in their gear yeah they're, they're never actually in normal clothes but I right so if it's backstage I think that's annoying like say if somebody gets out of a limo coming into the arena and they're already in their gear it's like what the fuck why are they even carrying a gym bag then you know uh, or a suitcase but when it's like a really weird like proper normal 
uh, scene and they're just wearing mm-hmm. their gear. I, I think particularly of like, um, say during the 24-7 rule where like Crash it gets attacked in a ball pool uh, and everybody's and just wearing their gear. gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff, yeah, that cracks me up. Or particularly the the greatest comedy segment ever broadcast in professional wrestling, and uh, that's uh, Stone Cold and Booker in the uh, supermarket. And Stone Cold is in his cut offs with his knee pa- knee brace. <laughs> yeah, he has the braces on. Actually, yeah, that's very right. Yeah, yeah. And Booker um, T is wearing his Booker T t shirt. <laughs> I actually, I must go back and watch that segment again. <laughs> Oh my god, there are a few better lines in the history of this business than price check on a jackass. Um, actually, speak, speaking of WWE stuff, have you watched any of the timeline stuff on the network yet? Uh, no. Ah, Dave. I know, I know. You really should, they're great. They're like little 45 minute things going over a storyline like from start to finish, it's great. I was actually, I was watching Thunder last night from when we're recording this and if I wasn't so tired I was going to watch the uh, Trish and Mickey James one that they just released oh yeah where like half that feud has been edited off the network now I'm, I'm sure it has yeah. yeah because I, I actually I looked at the age on it and it was G and I was like yeah. ah well that one particular when you think Moment. of that feud that yeah. one particular very non-PG spot was even edited off the DVD I think really because I remember that was one I of thought- the very that was one of the very early when they started changing uh, the programming. Maybe it was when they went to Blu-ray with some of the old WrestleManias. I was going to say at I, some point. I thought it was on the DVD and then it was a later release. Yeah. That they edited I, it off. Unless they put it back in, I am 99.5% certain it's not on the network version of mm-hmm. Mania, whichever Mania it was. I think it was a 22 uh it was 22 yes yeah because i was trying to think she was still down in uh ovw in like 05 mm-hmm. so it must have been 06 yeah. um but um yeah i need to I, I watched that i think the last um the last thing i watched in the network was probably that um the sasha bailey thing we talked about on the last show and that was kind of like you know half enjoyed it and half didn't want to watch mm-hmm. any more wwe produced things and I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying some real good documentary stuff at the moment with the all or nothing on amazon so it was kind of like um, i i haven't watched any of that yet so oh you'll love it you'll love it i don't want to divert us too much but you, mm-hmm. you you're gonna love it uh I can, everyone everyone keeps show. telling me i will but you oh, know, yeah. i think i'll wait for the whole run to be released and i'll i'll have a day yeah. off where i'll just dig into it yeah, damn straight. Uh, to get back to this next Innsmore cat match. Um, oh, that's still going on, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only does uh, Dinsmore WCW him at the start as the um, uh, as o- uh, as OSW would say, uh, they he also hits a really nice looking Northern Light suplex. Mm-hmm. Um, an incensed cat hits a sidekick uh, to Dinsmore's gut while he's on his knees. And this single spot completely melts Lee Marshall's brain. He's like, he couldn't get over the athleticism of hitting the sidekick while on your knees. I get the impression Lee Marshall never had friends as a child. Yeah. It, look, he, you know, it was it showed a bit of flexibility and stuff like that, but I wouldn't say it was the most uh, outrageous spot even on this show. Um <laughs> I think, or maybe maybe Marshall is just a very simple man and he just gets simple pleasures in life like seeing one man kick up into the air <laughs> uh, who knows yeah 
who knows like it, we could be here for another hour trying to understand the psychology of one uh, Staggerly Marshall uh, Dinsmore gets a one count off a sunset flip but uh, then eats a super kick uh, <laughs> Lee points out that as a karate practitioner he is still susceptible to quote unquote pro wrestling moves uh, and then he hits a feliner on the ground uh, kind of off the rebound mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Goldberg does on his spear sometimes but much less cool uh, for the win <laughs> Um, well having watched the cat wrestle a couple of times I can very much say that wrestling is in fact his weak point yeah <laughs> that's one thing I will absolutely agree with Lee Marshall on that's for sure next up we have a uh, Saturday night tease Lee and we're getting Bulldog Nightheart Stevie Ray and more how is Bulldog still wrestling I'd have to imagine it was taped in advance right uh, actually I looked it up because I was just like, how many more times am I going to have to say, how is Bulldog still wrestling? Bulldog doesn't have his last match in WCW till the 20th of October. What? And that last match is against Meng. He has to be in a really, really bad way by that stage. Yeah. Um, it seems like very much the kind of old school, like he's going to go until he literally can't go anymore. And... You know, we talk. I, I don't want to, you know, go through the whole thing again. But we talked on Fall Brawl mm-hmm. about like how fucked up this guy would be, like you know, bedridden well, for six months. What wasn't it in between his WCW run and his return to WWF, where him and uh, Nightheart all they did was like smoke crack every day? <laughs> <laughs> according uh, to Brett, sorry, according to Brett. Um, look, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, um, we, we learned that definitely he starts abusing pain medication uh, during the period where he's off from WCW. Mm-hmm. So uh, a little bit of recreational crack probably wouldn't be a million miles off at that juncture, I would say. I know, like, the build-up to the SummerSlam 92 match was, like, the same deal. I think him and Jim were just, like, off smoking crack every day while Brett is panning out this masterpiece of a match. As you fucking do. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> there's there's phrases you don't think you'll say when you wake up in the morning but a little bit of recreational crack definitely (laughs) isn't one that I thought I was going to say today if I'm remembering the story right Brad says like they just sat out on the lake in Calgary fishing and smoking crack all day (laughs) (laughs) and I mean if you can't picture Jim Neidhart and the British Bulldog doing that together well then I don't know what to tell you I don't think you're a wrestling fan it's so incongruous though the lovely idea of like uh, sitting by the lake you know casually fishing laying back and then just going want to smoke some crack <laughs> fucking hell oh my god I don't want I don't wish to speak ill of the dead but like what a pair of fucking Egypt's like <laughs> you would think by 1998 that the press was out that crack is not a good idea but fuck Jesus I mean, Christ. you say a pair of Egypt's, but I mean, maybe they had it the right way around with, you know. Oh, look, trailblazers <laughs> in a way, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you say you saying Xavier Woods wouldn't be even more fun with a bit of crack in the system. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we're all a bit more crack with a bit of crack, aren't we? Um, fuck it, L. Um, next up, we have the one match on this show I think that had a decent potential, and it turned out to be a pretty decent little match, and that was uh, Psychosis versus Saturn. Uh, I was like, when I saw the two of them come out, like, first I saw Psychosis and I was like, oh, cool, yeah, no, he's had some decent matches in Thunder. When I saw Saturn come out, I was like, 
Ah, good. I can just kind of relax now and be kind of nestled in the arms of a, a nice professional wrestling match. And that's what we got. Yeah. No, uh, do you know what? I said the very same thing. I would like wrote down psychosis, then sitting there waiting. And next thing I hear Saturn's music. And I was like, wait, first thing on paper, this is a great matchup. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, yeah, I can get into this. One of the ways like these two really gel well together is that we've seen Psychosis when he's um when he's in those lucha matches, you know, when he's put in with a Hoovy or he's put in with a Ray and he's playing that kind of Rudo role where he's mm-hmm. the bigger guy and he's slowing things down. Um with Saturn and his like his 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 grappling ability, he's such an accomplished wrestler. This match starts off with the two of them grappling and exchanging holes and being on the ground and stuff like that. And it's just you know, your average TV match, like if Randy Orton starts a match and grabs a headlock, I'm just like, oh, here we fucking go. Um, but these two managed to tell just a great story with holes mm-hmm. and with grappling. And, you know, it's something, it's a style of wrestling yourself and myself have a fond appreciation for. A friend of the show, Jamesy, obviously has great appreciation for. And I often think gets a bad rap, but um, it's like any type of wrestling. Uh, that gets derided a lot whether it's comedy wrestling intergender mm-hmm. wrestling shoot style wrestling like this is that when it's done right like in the hands of the right people it's just compelling to watch uh, and yeah the early exchanges here I was just loving it uh, at one point Psychosis thinks he's broken free of the, the Saturn headlock and he leapfrogs over Saturn but he like lands right back on the ground into a headlock I was like fucking yes yeah. <laughs> it's a great little moment because uh, he like he catches Saturn's shoulder, I think, on the leapfrog. Yeah. And Saturn, they both kind of pause and Saturn just grabs a headlock. And it's just like, yeah. it was great little bit of storytelling, as you say. It was just like, you think you can get away, but you can't. Yeah. And that is the story of the early match where it's like, uh, Sagosas might get a couple of moves in, but he's struggling to stay on top mm-hmm. because, you know, this is full steam Saturn. They're, they're putting a little bit of a push on him at the moment. Um, so he's trying to stay on top but then he eats an overhead belly to belly suplex which like I understand uh, you know for safety concerns not everybody is doing belly to belly suplexes uh, overhead anymore you know they're more doing it in the the, the belly to belly style because mm-hmm. um, it's safer but holy shit like a, a well executed overhead belly to belly suplex is a beautiful sight look two of my favourite wrestlers of all time are Taz and Kurt Angle that's all I yeah. have to say yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, we get a a leg sweep then a, a brief shout out to John Cronus there <laughs> half of a total elimination um, and has to then uh, rope break from a cross arm breaker it was a really smooth kind of the, mm-hmm. the leg sweep and then the cross arm breaker I loved it uh, Saturn attempts a til- tilt a whirl but Sikosa sticks the landing hits a lariat uh, uh, for two and then an enziguri um, the fans distract uh, Sikosis. he's kind of uh given out to them and this allows Saturn to get some shots in uh, but now Lodi is on the way out and it's like oh for fuck's sake uh, I, 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 th- sake. I think you're forgetting one particular shot because Saturn lands a, a super kick yeah. that I don't know whether it's the kick itself or Seacosis's bump but Jesus it looks fucking mental like one of the best yeah. super kicks I've ever seen it's one of those uh, shoot super kick almost yeah um it, it, Lodi out with his signs that say Saturn ruined my life and where is the bald eagle 
Uh, Saturn goes to confront Lodi, but he uh, gets a tope to the floor for his trouble from Psychosis. He hits uh, a really sick dropkick to the back of Saturn's head, and Saturn is staggered now. Mm-hmm. Um, the wounded animal Saturn starts throwing bombs at Psychosis, but he hits a, a dropkick to Saturn to maintain control. Uh, that control is only brief, though, as Saturn hangs him up on the ropes with a front suplex. Uh, after a drop kick uh, to the knee, Heenan points out that he should be going for, he goes, he should be going for a Boston Crab, a single leg Boston Crab. And Tony's like, what are you talking about? He goes, a single leg Boston Crab. He's working on the leg here. He should use it. And then a pause <laughs> or a chair. <laughs> <laughs> a real great brain moment where you let him work out in his own head what he'd actually do. <laughs> yeah, that's great. As he goes, his attempts uh, a guillotine leg drop off the apron, which Lee Marshall describes as being at least 10 feet in the air. But uh, Saturn moves and he just uh, bursts his arse off the floor. Saturn drags him in, hits a T-bone suplex, which Tony calls a fallaway slam. I have no idea what the commentators are. Maybe uh, they're smoking some black crack. As I well don't think that was match. a T-bone suplex. So I'm going to be a bit, a bit nerdy here. I don't think that was a T-bone. Oh, was it a capture suplex? I think it was more of like a head and arm suplex. Uh. Ah, well, put it this way: it wasn't a fallaway slam. It was fucking lovely, is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just grabbed him and he just fucked him across the ring. <laughs> Look, as, that's what as, Tony should have said. <laughs> as we said at the beginning of the show, we're simple men. We, we have simple pleasures in watching this wrestling. Seeing somebody yeah. get thrown halfway across the ring with a suplex. That's yeah. fine by me. <laughs> well, it's like we said, you know, when I was talking about the big mobile stiff match uh, on Nitro. It's like one of the things I love, you know, when you have uh, a power wrestler in a match is when he just does that spot where he grabs you under the arms and just hurls you across the ring mm-hmm. with little regard for your safety. One of my favorite things in wrestling. So, yeah, if you grab a man and suplex him halfway across the ring, you're going to get like bonus stars from myself and Lee. Take note, professional wrestlers of 1998. Uh, scoop slam from uh, Saturn. He hits, uh, he hits a frog splash, but with like kind of minimal bending Froggy of the body action. yeah <laughs> yeah where i actually had to replay it because i was like they were on such a run of not calling spots correctly that the first time i saw it i was like that surely wasn't a frog splash and i rewound it just to check and it was barely um and so he hits a splash uh and a weird moment here at the end where either the ref messes up the count the bell ringer rings it too early but either way, the match is over on the Frog Splash, and I don't think it was supposed to, because Saturn looks pissed. No, the, the ref 100% botched the count. Um, yeah. He slid down, he did a one very quick, two, and as his hand hit three, Sikosis kicked out, because I think he realised yeah. the ref had fucked up. <laughs> um, but yeah, instantly the bell rang, and there was that little brief moment where I think Silverman like says to Saturn, he's like, I'm sorry, and like fucking raises his hand. But Saturn yeah. is not happy. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. It, it was really getting mm-hmm. going. There's some really good stuff in here. The suplexes. I really think that um, like that drop kick to the back of Saturn's head was like a low-key highlight of the match as well. Um, really enjoyed it. The Lodi interference had, had minimal effect. Mm-hmm. You know, it just led to one spot. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really enjoying it until this finish. Like, it was probably only going to go another minute or so, but it's just a shame the way it, the way it turned out. Uh, a Goldberg video package uh, and then we lead into Tony on the ramp with Das Wunderkind Alex Wright uh, Tony here dressed like Captain Birdseye <laughs> gotta be said um, Wright begins talking in German he stops talking in German to dismiss Tony 
and saying like, oh, you know, you, you can't understand what I'm saying, gets rid of him. And then as he's walking off, describes Tony as a pig of a man. <laughs> the poor guy. Um, and kind of like a pig of a, a pig of a man, just like the rest of these fans. He calls himself the greatest European champion of all time uh, in WCW and runs down the whole roster of European people. And this is my periodic reminder that, in fact, Norman Smiley is English. Yeah, you can't forget that. I think he even yeah. competed on um, Team England in 1990, I think it was. Uh, oh, here he is. Here he is with the facts. What was What was the pay-per-view? They had like a, a pay-per-view or a clash with teams from all around the world competing mm. for one of the tag titles. It could have been the World Tag Team titles. And it was Norman Smiley and I believe Chris Adams were Team England. Wow. Yeah, born in Northampton um, in the north of England. And it's surprising because when you he doesn't really speak that often. But when he does, because he kind of, uh, from what I understand from uh, some half-assed research is that he was maybe five or six when he moved to okay. the States. Um, so, like, when you hear him speak, it kind of depends. Because I went then, I was just like, how could how could I have forgotten this? Uh, and then I started looking up, you know, interviews he'd done and stuff like that. And it really actually depends on the phrase and the word, where what inflection you can hear. It's kind of a bit of a muddled accent. Um, and obviously he lived most of the 90s in Mexico City as well. Which is just going to kind of, I'm sure that changes his inflection on a bunch of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk a um, more, more about Mexico. I'm sorry, I just looked it up. I was correct. It was Chris Adams and Norman Smiley versus Conan and Rey Mysterio Senior. Oh, uh, Starcade 1990 Collision Course. There you are. Um, we then have a an incredibly 1998 Horseman video package. It was like, I loved this because, you know, the, the horsemen are, a, you know, a, a stable with a lot of history at this point and mm-hmm. obviously helmed by, by Flair and Anderson. But this was very much like of, of the, the 1998 attitude that was just like, this ain't Joe Daddy's horseman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I it was... I thought it was great, yeah, I, I loved it. Oh, look, yeah, look, at, in 1998, I would have thought this was hype as shit, you know? And as somebody who grew up in 1990s, I, I still think it's a bit hype as shit, but, like, it's definitely a product of its time, we'll put it that way, you know? Like a lot of these uh, video packages, they just feel very, very 90s. Oh, um, look, the, the, the super jump cuts and, like, the fade-outs and stuff are very of their time. Yeah. But... Like, I don't know, like, the whole feeling of going, right, this was the horseman you knew, and this is the new horseman. I liked it. I, I, I yeah. really enjoyed it. I thought that was a fun little kind of spot, and, yeah. like, a nice reminder before they're on the show. It did the job, that's for sure. Uh, what didn't do the job was the next match, and that was Barb versus Fit Finley. Um, Fit Finley's hair is just... Like, I know it's better than the, the mullet, but, like, the... Uh, it's amazing a man who has like for his entire life looked like he's in his late 50s with the spiky blonde dyed hair is just gas to me um i mean look you if you want to take issue with fifinley's hair i'll let you be the one to say it <laughs> well he does love to fight so i probably won't um <laughs> also any man that uh brings up david finley who can deliver such great takedowns on twitter as yeah. as young david did this week uh, yeah, look, I don't want to mess with his son, and by his son, I of course mean Hornswoggle. 
Um, <laughs> immediately I'm taken out of this match because Drunk Scott Hall comes out um, to go on commentary and it takes the entire crowd you and out everybody of the match else. as well. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. entire crowd notices him come out and even though he saunters over to the, the commentary table, I think everyone is just watching what Scott's doing. It's like, oh, an actual star is here. Uh, he says he's being told he has a match with Kevin, but he doesn't like being told what to do with Kev, uh, by Kev. Uh, he says Kev isn't his boss and can't tell him what to do. And he says in a line that is just the most depressing thing in the world, given mm-hmm. you know where Scott Hall is at at this time. Um, he said, I mean when I drink, and lately I've been drinking all the time. Um, yeah, <laughs> not great. <sighs> what, do you know what? That's a perfect description of the storyline, and it's so fucking depressing. Yeah, and do you know what? Like, this took me out of the match so bad that I could not tell you with a gun to my head what was happening in the ring while this was happening. Uh, because, once again, and it's something we, we talked about with our good friend Alan Forel when we were on his podcast, is that, like, Fit Finley, a very wrestler's wrestler, there's not a lot of uh, Fit Finley matches, especially from this time period. I'm going back to going, that was a great match. A lot of them are mm-hmm. very dull, and he's in here with barbs, so it's not exactly going to kick on that extra level. Um no. And I mean, he, he's just had that TV title reign like a couple of months before this. Yeah. And can you remember anything memorable? No, I remember how not memorable it was. And that was about it. There you go. And the only thing I really remember from this match, apart from the tombstone finish from Finley, is the fact that for the second time in about 40 minutes, Jimmy Hart takes an apron bump. Poor Jimmy was working harder than most wrestlers on this show. Yeah, the man got worked over by some stiff fuckers. Um, then we get a package for DDP and Goldberg. I actually really like the um, both the the commercial for Halloween Havoc that we'd see later in the night, and the the, mm-hmm. the other package for DDP Goldberg. I think it really hypes up that like this is the 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 undefeated phenom mm-hmm. that is Goldberg, and he's taken on one of the the big grassroots stars of WCW, and it's you know who's your favourite because they're both good guys um, yeah I really like it and speaking of uh, bits I do, enjoyed do, do uh, you know what's a, a nice little touch and it's probably something nobody else has, uh, I'm not saying nobody else people have never really con- kind of considered mm. so Goldberg DDP is like these two fan favourites and it's very much neither guys is a bad guy here they're not kind of being well so far in the build up they haven't been horrible to each other they haven't you know called each other out or anything like that yeah and on the card with them is Hogan Warrior and what was the first Hogan Warrior match all about here's your two fan favourites yeah going one on one god yeah like you really could have done a great job of um, framing it like that that you know this is a rivalry that started off you know uh, Hogan Warrior started off like DDP and Goldberg and, and look, Goldberg, how it's, yeah. look how it's gone mm-hmm. over the years and where both men have gone and yeah there could be some interesting mirrors you could have thrown up there you could have them saying like oh we're not going to go down the route of being like Go or like Hogan and Warrior and being bitter towards whoever wins the match and stuff like that but you know yeah for sure um, we have an interview segment next with uh, Tony <clears throat> who's in the ring to talk to DDP uh, Paige says it's a different matter to if he was in there wrestling someone from the NWO or wrestling Hollywood Scum Hogan and I must note in fairness to Paige as much as we cringe at the Hollywood Scum Hogan line this is the first time where a crowd roared Hollywood Scum Hogan back at him mm-hmm. so you know credit where credit's due he got it over <laughs> you know? Persistence 
Yeah, that's what it seems to have been. Literally, most of 1998 saying that over and over again, and it finally stuck. So fair play to him there. Um, he says it's unlike those those kind of feuds because there's no hatred involved here. He says don't be confused though because there is passion, there is pride, and there is competition between him and Bill Goldberg. Halloween Havoc is about chasing the dream of being champion, getting into the ring with what he describes as an undefeated phenom. He says, look, smart money's on Goldberg. Of course it is. You know, he talks about Vegas and the odds and things like that. He says, but I like it when the odds are against me. I've beaten them before. You know, he says, three years ago, if you had said Diamond Dallas Page in the main event of a pay-per-view for the WCW title, people would have laughed. Uh, and then something I really love, like, this is a great babyface angle to take on, on Goldberg and to give babyface justification for going after Goldberg and the streak and say... Maybe he is unbeatable, but you know what? Maybe he's not. Mm-hmm. I love and it was that. Very, I love that. Yeah, it was a, a great way to end a promo, and I thought it was like a great babyface promo. Yeah, like it, he, he didn't have to be, like I said, he didn't have to run down Goldberg. Yeah. He built him up. He yeah. was like, yeah, this this guy is a phenom. It's pro wrestling one hundred and one, where it's like, I think I'm better than you. Let's have a match, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you build the guy up because obviously, you know, it's Goldberg, so it's not necessarily the case. But in under normal circumstances, if if you tear the guy down in promos leading up to the the event, you know, who did you beat? You yeah, know exactly. Um, you know, I think we've talked about it on the show before. Like, it's something that you know, as entertaining as a lot of the Rock's promos are, like. You know when you when you think about how he'd run down some guys, you think, oh, mm-hmm. like mm, maybe you should have held back on the last couple of dunks there, mate. You know, because the, the one the one that always comes to mind is Billy Gunn. Now Billy yeah. Gunn should not have been in that position. No, but you also had the guy that had just won King of the Ring, and Rock spent what three and a half four weeks solid just destroying him. Yeah, on the mic. Yeah, and by the time he got to SummerSlam, it was just it was a nothing match. Like it's it, it was fine always when he was doing it. You know when he did his uh his his promo about uh, Al, <laughs> the Rock's gonna face Al, or his 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 famous Royal Rumble promo where he thinks he's gonna have a real problem with Headbanger Mosh. <laughs> yeah, like when it's those guys who are on shotgun and yeah. metal, they're probably glad to just be mentioned by one of the top yeah. two guys in the business. But yeah, when he's running down. Uh, like the big stars and saying they absolutely suck and stuff like that it's like oh or yeah like you said Billy Good who's just come off a tournament win and he's just ripping him to shreds as entertaining he's as it is in yeah. the moment you know but um, yeah so he does the the incredible like maybe he's unbeatable but maybe he's not maybe at Halloween Havoc he feels the bang uh, I wrote down exactly what you did great babyface promo good fire we haven't seen one of these from Paige in a little while mm-hmm. he'd kind of been uh, he'd been put on the back burner for a couple of months there until he was heated up uh, for for it, war games. Um, it, yeah, I it's love ama- Yeah, it's amazing what stepping away from Hogan can do for somebody, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we've said that before. That anybody that's in that Hogan orbit, like, look, I'm not gonna cry the same way we did for DDP with Warrior because I think you could have put Warrior in there with anybody and it was gonna suck, but. Mm-hmm. You know, with the exception of that, which was never going to be good, there's most people who have been in the Hogan orbit feud wise since the start have been swallowed up by him. And it hasn't gotten Hogan anymore over because he's already Hogan, but it's gotten the person he's in with less over. Somebody I was just thinking about this week was Macho Man. Yeah. How old was that guy at the start of this? 
like don't get me wrong I know he's off injured he had to get the, the uh, knee surgery or whatever yeah but like Sting big star in the industry in, at the start of 1998 what's he done for the rest of the year mm-hmm. like it's... I said Mach- Macho Man was incredibly hot coming off the NWO split mm. gone but obviously the injury is unfortunate whatever but, but like, he was already had they, he, he had already been kind of like diminished before down. he was yeah. even injured because mm-hmm. I, I think when we if I call back to episode one like we were talking about that we had just come off like Sting was the biggest baby face in the company but like right there behind him because this was the start of Macho breaking away you know mm-hmm. uh, in terms of an over character Macho was right up in the top three or four in the in the whole company and, and yeah yep. he'd like not been forgotten about by the time he was injured but he was certainly like damaged and you know obviously like, Brett is another one that screams at you like he wasn't directly in the feud with Hogan but just being put in as Hogan's lackey was just a yeah. fucking having oh. to wear the Hogan shirt yeah <sighs> yeah oh well uh, we get a replay for Monday of Viano 4 being uh, allegedly injured by a powerbomb neckbreaker combo. Tanae says, thankfully it was only minor neck damage and his fitness prevented major injury. Uh, and today finishes up by saying, and actually he'll be back by next week. Uh, I was just like, all right. So he wasn't okay. injured at all. Yeah, the ultimate kind of kayfabe injury where it's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to set up this match by saying, oh, this guy is really injured. But actually not. <laughs> It's like you couldn't have waited till the end of the the match to provide the medical update, you know. Um, but we have Viano five versus Raven with Canyon. Viano is here for what today describes as venganza, uh, vengeance, uh, which uh, very sarcastically impresses Tony and Brain. Uh, <laughs> all all I could think of uh, was, have you seen where Saito Bob has moved to Italy and has a wife and child? Yeah. <laughs> vendetta 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 yeah I was thinking I, I, I just kept thinking of the um. I know you haven't seen it but uh, Arrested Development where you know Job is trying to figure out what hermano means and it means brother and he seems to know the word brother in every language except Spanish reminded me of the two lads just are like okay yeah I guess that's what it means but um Raven is on the mic at first and says that uh, all his life he's been treated unfairly at which point Tony roars deservedly so (laughs) Tony's on one tonight he really is he's in rare form Uh, he says he hurt Viano's brother on Monday and will hurt him now Uh, and I'm glad for the first time I think on Thunder that the relationship between the Vianos was made clear and they weren't just Vianos Um, well are are they brothers well look we we may never know I mean, they're named four, five, and six, so. Maybe it's one of those things where, you know, it's the. Viano is the family name and they're proud of it, so they lead with that. I <laughs> am um, Bob, Bob Viano. This is Terry Viano. <laughs> Bob Jr. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, Viano is a house of fire early, but Raven recovers using his jacket to strangle Viano. So instead of uh, him being attacked in his jacket, he attacks using his jacket. Um, he hits three of his floating Russian leg sweeps. And as soon as I, I saw this in the match, I, I was reminded how much I love this spot. Um, and I tweeted out uh, once again, it's something we talked about uh, from the Saturn match. 
we are absolutely begging somebody in professional wrestling to steal yep. Raven's floating Russian leg sweeps. Um, and especially do the version from Fall Brawl against Saturn where he does the floating Russian leg sweeps and then transitions into the mount. Yep. Fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Also, if you haven't, go watch that Fall Brawl match for God's oh sake. Oh my God. Uh, who was it this week? There was somebody... Oh, uh, Mike versus Philly. Um, yes. Mikey Falcone. Yes. Yes. Was he tweeting about the match. About yeah. how it's just like an all-time WCW banger. Fucking dead right. Watch that match, guys. Fall Brawl. Don't watch anything else on that show. But watch <laughs> that Saturn Raven match. It is so good. And please, if I, you do I, watch it, tweet us. I know for a fact that uh, Alan Farrell has watched the match. Yeah. But he hasn't listened to our latest or to the Fall Brawl show yet. Yeah. But I, I, I know, I know he has watched it. Yeah. He tweeted us a quote from another one of the shows, so I know he's getting yeah. up to date. But yeah, I can't wait to see how much or how little he agrees with us. I feel like he loved it. Because I, I well I didn't I was talking to Sarah, so um but she did tell me they watched the show. Yeah. And they were gonna wait to listen to the show to the Fall Brawl episode. Oh. But um I remember when we were tweeting about the match because we both loved it so much and yeah. Alan couldn't figure out which match we were talking about. Yeah. You know, when we were saying, oh, like, you know, there's one match on the show, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but Alan was like, oh, I can't wait to listen. So hopefully when he listens, he'll hear and we get to hear his reaction. I feel like the the finishing, like the, the last five minutes of this match is going to have mm-hmm. him losing it. I hope it is anyway. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, um, Raven then tries to get a chair into the ring for uh, fairly quickly after that, and Viano frantically tries to. I I I like this where it's like he sees Raven is getting the chair in. He knows it's Raven rules. He knows the spot Raven is going to go for, and out of desperation, is just trying to throw anything at Raven to stop him. But it's to no avail as eventually he hits the drop toe hole on the chair and the even flow for the win. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the replay here I enjoy that Tony gives Bobby absolute shite for not calling the, ma- the replay properly <laughs> do you know what was the highlight of the, it was the highlight of the match yeah <laughs> Fanny just being like are you gonna call the are you gonna call the replay yeah and he's just like he's Tony is calling out the moves and Brain's like oh, I was about to say that I was about to say that and then he just goes and Saren is your winner <laughs> yeah yeah I love that yeah where he just like he just leans into it and, and works a mistake where he's just like and your winner is Saturn Raven <laughs> <laughs> and then Tanay with maybe the only quick burn in, in Mike Tanay's illustrious career goes well that's why they call him the brain <laughs> uh, unfortunately we go from the sublime to the ridiculous as we have more shite warrior promo talking about how the disciple has yet to be instilled with the spirit of the warrior promise or threat I wonder um, next up we have my own personal circle of hell Disco Inferno versus Chavo with Pepe um, and this is a match, you know, I, you know, we we joke and we rag on Disco on this show. Well, I do anyway. Um, but I really felt for him in this match because, like, you're you're working with like the fucking most ridiculous and like think about the ground that covers the most ridiculous gimmick in this com- company is uh, Chavo being insane and having uh, a hobby horse. Um, Chavo's doing a shtick at the start, and <laughs> I wrote here, I don't care, and you can't make me, Lee. <laughs> Yeah, well, all, all I said was Chavo still has the fucking toy horse. So, yeah, yeah the, the Pepe is very over with me, apparently. Yeah, um, Disc, but yeah Disco like, is annoyed, fucking, and for once I agree with him. 
Disco as a cruiserweight. I think that's the main story here. Yeah, it's very much like, wow, um, this is very much what we'd see five years later or however long it was with Matt uh, doing the the version mm-hmm. one and trying to cut weight to get to cruiserweight. Um, but we get we get to that in a second. There was a couple of spots in this match that was kind of that were kind of impressive. Uh, Chavo sticking the landing on a monkey flip, I thought was pretty cool. Um, I mm-hmm. I was shocked when this match went to a break and that they got two segments for this. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Well, um, you, you know yourself, Disco is a big ratings getter. Yeah, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Um, I, w- I will say I think the main news like the yeah. the real big news coming out of this match I know where you're going is that Scott Norton is the new IWGP champion yeah he is the new IWGP heavyweight champion and today yeah. points out that he is the third American to hold it and he mentions Hulk Hogan and he doesn't mention the other person <laughs> Lee why, why do you think that is uh, because the other person happens to be working in the WWF at the time and the other person, the, yes. The man called Vader. Yes. Big Van Vader was the other American to hold the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at this point. Um, interestingly enough, like, so they obviously wouldn't mention him because he'd been in WWF, but I think as we all remember at this time in 1998, he was a bit of a joke. He was literally about to be released. Uh, it's funny, this exact week that this point comes up on Thunder it marks Vader's last pay-per-view match for the WWF. Um, really? At In Your House Breakdown, he jobs out to a pre-acolyte Bradshaw. Jesus. Um, and then I think he has a couple more televised matches. Um, according to Wikipedia, anyway, his final match with them during this run was uh, on a heat taping. Um, so, yeah, he had very much petered out. It wasn't like they were going to plug Steve Austin or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show, like, the pettiness of WCW. And that kind of, we've talked about it before, the dichotomy between there's certain things they want to put over that link them to the WWF and certain things they don't. But uh, Vader not being with them anymore is definitely not one they want to dwell on. So I was kind of surprised that today even brought it up because I think anybody listening to that and goes... Right, three Americans, Scott Norton, Hulk Hogan, and they won't mention the other guy. That's just going to make people want to find out. You yeah, know what I mean? The, well, obviously, they wouldn't have to Google, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure they would have had ways of finding out eventually who the other guy was. Yeah. They're not going to go, him, Call him Dave on his hotline. Who's the other guy? And then go, oh, Vader. Oh, I must watch him on fucking Heat. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get those Heat tapings in, man. Uh, yeah, but the, the match is mostly a, a nothing sandwich, you know. Um, like I said, the biggest news being Scott Norton winning a title in a, on another continent. Um, Chavo does a, an occasional decent looking spot like that sticking the landing off the monkey flip and he does uh, a springboard bulldog, which looks mm-hmm. decent. Uh, but Disco eventually hits the pile driver for the win. Um, right how, at the how, end. How about Disco doing a pile driver? Yeah, he's done it a couple of times before, but I, is this the first time he's used it as a finish? It's definitely the first time he's used it as the finish. Normally, he uses the uh, last dance, the stunner. Yes. Uh, maybe that's another thing because of how 1998 is going that he's not doing the um, mm-hmm. he's not doing the stunner anymore. Um, so yeah, uh, Hoovy is out now. We're getting to the shtick portion of this segment. Uh, he has a note to hand to the referee, which is apparently, as we would discover, a medical report that details his weight. And another referee is coming out saying that uh, this document is forged and he wants Disco to weigh in now. He's got a scale under his arm. Uh, 
Disco is reticent to do so, but he eventually gets on the scales and he weighs in at 231 and the decision is reversed. <laughs> he smashes Hoovy into the steps and then storms off. And I love because this is, you know, we don't often on Thunder have history making moments. Mm-hmm. But this might be the first time. It's definitely the first time on the run of Thunder, but it's it's one of the, the early times in professional wrestling where a match finish can be put down as uh, fatness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, considering we just saw Saturn take on a cruiserweight in Psychosis, yeah. like what? What's the big deal of uh, Disco being over the cruiserweight limit? Yeah, he wasn't going for the title. You know, weird. Anyway, um, flashback to to Nitro again as a disciple joins the One Warrior Nation. To which I wrote, "Fuck off." <laughs> I just could not like. Is there anything more indicative of why WCW died than the main pushed angle on this uh, in this company at the moment featuring Hogan, Warrior, and Ed Leslie? Mm-hmm. Here's <laughs> no? a question for you. If Big it's Brother the Warrior, if, <laughs> if it's the one Warrior Nation, why is there two people in it? <laughs> well, there's one Warrior, but two people. So it's like the No Homers Club. Yeah, yeah. They're allowed to have one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Continuity Malone, you should have known that. You should have known that. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Norman Smiley versus Alex Wright. And this is like, they mentioned something here in this match that made it click with me. Like, so we've talked about how, you know, Smiley isn't blowing you away in terms of his physical charisma um, or his charisma in any way, really. Uh, but he's a very, like, accomplished professional wrestler and, and very smooth in the ring. But it, it kind of just boggles my mind. This is the first time I'd really thought about it properly that, like, this guy is way down the card and he's like a former CMLL champion. <laughs> um, oh yeah, like th- th- this guy is like a mega star in Mexico. Yeah. Like he he like, was like a big draw. He held their uh, he held their belt for like nearly a year. Um, he won a, a tournament in 91 beating Rio de Jalisco Jr. Um, to, to win. It was, a, it, it was vacant. And then he held it for 219 days. And here he is just in a very nondescript match with Das Wunderkind. It's, um, and he was, you know, and that's why I think that's why I thought about it is because Snape points out that still at this stage, he was living in Mexico City, which a lot of those guys were, um, the Lucha guys were kind of commuting up and down mm-hmm. for TV. Um, I wonder if they just, just bring Norman with them one day. Yeah. Just, this is our pal. Um, it's just interesting to me because like could you imagine like in 2020 with like WWE or even with AEW like the idea of somebody commuting in and out from Mexico all the time is kind of ridiculous um like most like it seems like the entirety of professional wrestling lives mm-hmm. in Florida <laughs> you know oh yeah Florida and the surrounding area is just a hotbed of professional wrestling right now yeah and I know you know some of the AEW guys are trapped overseas and stuff like that but it's they're guys who either were in the process of getting a visa to move over or people who kind of like would part time in each country. It wasn't like they were mm-hmm. going flying transatlantic every single week, but it's, it's just interesting uh, to me. I can only imagine the amount and it's something that has been noted before the amount that WCW were blowing on flying people in for shows. Like there's multiple times where these guys would be flown in from Mexico and just not used. Which makes um, perfect sense. Business yeah. sense anyway. 
yeah for sure uh bog standard stuff here early on we have the cocky heel in in alex wright versus the accomplished technician and wright getting frustrated and aggressive every time he's out wrestled <clears throat> at one point he just hurls smiley outside and they have a little chop battle which i very much enjoyed for the couple of seconds it lasted um wright then gets really annoyed he's going to work with stomps in the corner uh smiley finally starts to build momentum after wright makes a mistake and hangs himself up on the ropes but uh a few waist lock reversals later and wright hits his uh reverse neck breaker and wins nothing really to write home mm-hmm. about here no uh the the main or the, my favorite part of the match was uh bobby heenan's story at the beginning of the match yeah please please uh enlighten the listeners to save them having to watch this so heenan cuts in at the start of the match and says i had a friend norman once and he said he was a dormant or he uh, lived in Salt Lake City and he worked in a hotel so what we all called him was Norman the Mormon Dorman <laughs> <laughs> and the absolute silence you can tell they've hit the cough buttons <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I cracked up I just lost it if anybody ever comes to me and say says that Bobby Heenan is anything less than one of the greatest treasure treasures the wrestling business has ever seen, I will mm-hmm. slap you in your damn face. Uh, <laughs> even here, where he's clearly like he's clearly checked out for the night at this point. I'm not sure he was ever checked in for the night. You know, it was one of those nights where he was just trying to pop them um, and wouldn't even call a replay properly. <laughs> but holy hell, I'm so glad he's here. Uh, he just livens up dull just moments on a show. Th- those little moments is what he lives for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, speaking of moments that I know Lee lives for, Stevie Ray is here. Putting a promo, uh, no less. No less, yeah. He said he's heard these idiots out here chatting for the four horsemen all night. But Bischoff called him on his cellular phone. I love... Did you like the emphasis? The emphasis People. on my cellular phone. Do you know because it's still you think about 1998 like having a cell phone is still a real status symbol in 1998 Agway you know? Zach Morris had one in like 1992 yeah but Zach Morris was Zach Morris you know that man could freeze time remember Um, but yeah <laughs> and I love it's not even the first time on WCW we've seen somebody really emphasise the cellular part of cellular phone loved it he said, Stevie has to stop the Four Horsemen coming into the building because he is, in fact, the NWO's enforcer, which is really, I'm sure Vincent, as head of security, feels very, very slighted by well, that. Well, Vincent can be head of security while Stevie is the enforcer. Yeah, very much. Two different in, roles. Well, you know, it, it definitely plays into to Vincent's thing that Vincent essentially then is just supervising Stevie Ray doing the actual work. There you go. Um, we cut back to backstage and Dillinger is there with the horsemen and they're chatting away and then in the most like exaggerated panto acting ever uh, Doug Dillinger dramatically turns his back and steps aside because he doesn't see the horsemen there yeah um, it, I think it, it, isn't the idea that like Bischoff has told him he's not to let them into the arena yeah. and Dillinger like says to him alright I'm not to let you in the arena and he just turns his back yeah <laughs> But I love because it also implies that, you know, Stevie is out here giving it the big one, saying he's the enforcer for the NWO, when in fact there's a good chance he went to Dillinger and said, Mr. Bischoff said that you're not allowed to let anybody in the building. So he's going out to claim credit for running them off, assuming that Dillinger is doing his work. So, yeah, I love that. Um, See, and it's brilliant because as soon as the four horsemen then come out, Stevie just steps aside. (laughs) 
it's just like oh fuck real this. coward yeah exactly yeah, it's just not worth it doesn't even do it oh you better go back there he just calmly steps aside uh, Tony says he has somewhere to be so he's running out to the ring to, to interview the horseman and as Stevie goes through the curtain because the horseman had entered without iron Stevie goes through the curtain to the side and gets waffled by a tire iron and out emerges Aaron Anderson um, and yeah then this is just uh, uh, horseman central after this uh, Aaron gets on the mic he says this is the best part of the promo by fire because he says we've learned a few things number one Unless 15,000 people in this building are missing a thumb, this is Horseman Town. <laughs> Which gets an enormous pop. Yeah, and that was just from us. <laughs> yeah. This is number two. He obviously isn't much of an arm wrestler, but it doesn't take much grip to swing a tire iron. <laughs> <laughs> I did laugh at that. That's a great little line. And number three, they don't give a shit what Bischoff thinks. He didn't say shit, yeah. but he kind of did the pause. Uh, and now they're going to take their company back for WCW and the Horsemen one night at a time one town at a time if the promo had ended there it would have been absolutely perfect mm-hmm. um, Dean gets on the mic then and the crowd are too hyped up from Arn that they don't really give Dean much of a chance to speak he no. says he wants to thank Arn man to man for allowing him in the organisation Hennig was offered the slot a year before, betrayed that trust, but Malenko, and it is like the most Malen- uh, emotion Malenko has ever shown. You can tell on some level Malenko really did like appreciate, you know, being given that kudos of you're allowed being the horseman. Um, he says that he's not going to let them down, he promises. Um, Benoit then gets on the mic, and like this was not the role for him in this promo, where he tries to burn Eric and Liz, an absolute swing and a miss from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of swing and a miss, Mongo, in what you can tell he thought was the funniest joke he'd ever thought of, gets on the mic and calls Bischoff Eric Buffoon. Um, oh. If you if you've ever listened to any of his commentary, you'll know he thinks that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then he advocates breaking into Eric's house and beating the life out of him in front of his family, and I was like, okay, Mongo, tone it down a little. Uh, and then I couldn't stop thinking about the uh, the infamous segment of Triple H breaking into Randy Orton's house. <laughs> Ric Flair bursting into the house through the door. Oh, it'd be amazing with a sledgehammer. Uh, where maybe that's where robe. they got the idea from. <laughs> Jesus. Um, then I love Ric Flair's first line. I absolutely adored because he called Tony Antonio. Mm-hmm. He says, is it my turn, Antonio, to talk in Norfolk, Virginia tonight? Uh, he says they're reunited and it feels good. He says, he, uh, Bischoff asked him and he saved his money. I said, hell no, I spent a hundred grand here in 1987 alone. <laughs> Do you know what? It's probably not even that far from the truth. No, I bet it's not. And it, Well, we definitely know, as history has borne out, that Ric Flair did not save his money. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um in a line that definitely depending on the way you read it is like ridiculously grim and dark or just it you know um implies that the horsemen are a bit hmm. uh shall we say uh they say that liz is tied up at the hilton and i was like oh dear like mm-hmm. i don't th- so when i was i watched this twice this promo because i loved the antonio line so much and Eric Buffoon I loved ironically and at first I was like Jesus Christ this is really dark what they're implying is happening but then like I listened back to it I'm like 
I think the first line is badly phrased. I think they're implying that like Liz has left Bischoff while he's not in the country and she's enjoying the high life with the horseman. But the first line of saying that she's tied up in the hotel implies that they've abducted her. Yeah. <laughs> and that, oh, that's like, especially with what they then go on to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, when you pair that with what is still to come. Yeah. It's not good. Because then he says that the man of a thousand positions, I mean holes, is going to show her what a horseman is. Um, and like, yeah, I... D- I'm not trying to give them the benefit of the doubt necessarily, but I genuinely, I genuinely think when they were thinking of this promo that it would come off a different way than it did, you know. And then you also have to throw in the fact that Ric Flair gyrated for a little bit longer than he should have, <laughs> especially at his age. Even then, oh god, yeah. But what did you think? Like, did you think that that what like that they were implying something much darker, or did you think like I was saying that I no, think I, the choice I, I, of words was poor? I don't think they were implying that they kidnapped her and were holding her hostage and whatever else you want to say after that. Um, I think, like you said, it was more like she's back in our hotel room and like tied up with us. Yeah, I I think it was because Bischoff, obviously, as was pointed out in the show, Bischoff is in Japan at the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think it's trying to mess with his head that like when your back is turned, your woman is is, is, is living the high life with the horseman. Why is Liz Bischoff's woman? What was that? Sorry. Why is Liz Bischoff's woman? Like, she just th- by association because like she. Do you remember the couple of months yeah. where she's just coming out with him all the time? But she looks incredibly uncomfortable next to him all the time. Yeah, yeah. incredibly uncomfortable. Um. So then uh, he said, after that, then the horsemen are going to walk that aisle tonight, style and profile, and own Virginia Beach and Norfolk all night long, baby. And that's when he does the unnecessarily long thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved the the end of this segment was fantastic because Bobby Heenan roared not to bother with the Waco call at the hotel. They're going out with flair tonight. <laughs> and I'll bet that was 100% a shoot. <laughs> yep. Well, this was Bobby Heenan who had to come off the road in 1992 because Ric Flair was ruining his life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I believe, a direct quote. (laughs) Not ruining his marriage, his life. (laughs) I miss Bobby so much, man. Like, so much more than than almost anybody that's passed the business. Because, like, Mm -hmm. if he was still around and in good health, what a shoot interview or podcast guest like you want to talk guys who have stories like oh my god look it, it, people won't enjoy it now because of one of the people involved but yeah uh, ROH did a great series with Heenan and Cornette yeah and they just shot the shit for so long like uh, I think there's like four DVDs of it yeah and that was before his health really started to fail mm-hmm. was it yeah. yeah and like he went down to visit Cornette's new house in Louisville and like he was oh, setting yeah. up all his all his memorabilia and stuff, and they just went through like memorabilia, like it's one like, look, Cornet is Cornet. I'm not going to get into all that, but like just seeing Bobby like talk about random wrestlers, there was no, no um no plan. It was just they were going through stuff and like talking about people, and it was just Bobby in his element, and it was great. One of the one of those guys, and like. You know, I I could be missing out on a big glaring exception, but he's one of those guys that everybody speaks so warmly about. Mm-hmm. Um, both in terms of like his mind for the business and just what a what an entertaining guy he was. Um, 
And I like, I don't think, you know, even health aside, like, I don't think the guy, uh, both in terms of how WCW treated him and particularly after Monsoon died, I don't think he was ever really the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember it was a real poignant moment um, in his Hall of Fame speech where, like, he was so upset just yeah. saying that he wishes Gorilla was there. Um, but yeah, what a guy. One of the absolute greatest there ever was, um, for sure. Uh, it's main event time now uh, and it's Canyon versus Goldberg and something I hadn't thought about earlier in the show Lee when the match was announced uh, something I really like it's like almost a bit of clever booking on WCW's part and I feel it was probably accidental but this match plays into DDP's the feud he's coming from and mm-hmm. the feud he's in so you've got Canyon and then you've got Raven on commentary who were part of like the, the storyline DDP's involved with a lot over the, the period we've been covering um, and then talking about Goldberg so it's kind of it's it it's almost like this whole show has been reminding you what DDP's been doing and where he's going so yeah. I really like that yeah no that, that, I'd never actually thought of that but yeah that that's a that's a nice nice little touch if like you say I'd say totally unintentional yeah yeah it definitely seems like Raven realises you know that that point and mm-hmm. he, he's trying to remind people as well he mentions a couple of times about page on commentary um but uh he's he's on commentary mostly wondering what about raven he's jealous of the security detail even though he already did have one a couple of months ago um and i love there's a great back and forth between him and he him and bobby where uh, bobby goes yeah and he's got his own dressing room and raven starts going yeah he's got his own dressing room hey don't tell me what to say, Heenan. <laughs> and I, I feel like that was Raven giving Bobby his due. Like, he'd be the only one that could, like, outsmart Raven. Yeah. It's really, like, two absolute, like, you want to talk about razor-sharp razor mm-hmm. uh, guys. Really good stuff. Um, But, uh, yeah, so Raven, Raven then says, I love this. He demands an even flow video package. And you know what? I do, too. Oh yeah, I'd absolutely uh, pop for that. <laughs> yeah, Canyon uh, did his "Who Better Than Canyon" bit, and then Goldberg came out. Uh, even though he had finished his promo, he told Goldberg, "I wasn't finished," and asks uh, once again, "Who's better than Canyon?" Turns around, spear, jackhammer, Goldberg wins. <laughs> Absolute squash. I loved it. I thought that was perfect. Like Canyon's not getting a big push at the moment, but he's like just enough of a name that you can squash and have it be effective. Yeah. And it's a thing where, like, this is a guy who was having close-fought matches with DDP mm-hmm. and and with Saturn, you know, and Goldberg just snuffed him out in, what, 20 seconds. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it has a lot of implications for going to, to the pay-per-view. And it'd be really interesting, like, you know, in a world where this was a deliberate thing, I would have Goldberg spend the month running through people that... DDP either couldn't beat or had close matches with um, but you know this is WCW so I'm not going to hold my breath <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wouldn't go expecting too much between now and Havoc no uh, that is the end of the show though uh, Lee would you like to tell me your winners and losers uh, losers I'll start with I think Alex Roy had a very poor showing between his kind of nothing match with Norman and the, the really bad promo mm. Um, winners um, like it's a boring choice. Saturn again. I thought looked 
very very good in the match with psychosis mm-hmm. and also i think they re-established ddp very very well on the show yeah like we were kind of saying you know we said it earlier in the show and we've been saying it recently that like they really it felt like going into fall brawl that they just kind of plucked page out of nowhere for the havoc feud because they had blown through so much by putting the belt on goldberg uh all the feuds they had probably planned for hogan um but you know after they made a decision to go with ddp and have him win in war games uh, i think they did a like you said a really good job in in a couple of weeks here they've heated him up uh to the level where you're like yeah this is a credible challenge to goldberg yeah for sure like and it's, it's something that we felt ddp has needed like like you say it's kind of kind of come from nowhere but it's something that we like we could see how connected the page was with the fans before and even look even throughout the whole hogan thing that we really hated the fans were kind of still there yeah. with them they just weren't as vocal mm-hmm. and now you can see like hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll see like the fans be even more kind of back with page Hopefully. Um, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger. We had eight matches on this program with seven clean finishes. Incredible. And mm-hmm. one one other, which was a finish due to fatness. <laughs> Is that going in the record book as that? Yes. I, I guess it's going to have to because originally it was eight for eight clean finishes and then the decision got reversed. So officially in the record books, that's a match that the result was the man was too fat and declared the loser. I mean, look, I suppose there's a force for everything. Yeah, and hopefully a last. But uh, again, WCW, let's not hold our breaths. Uh, That's going to do it for episode 33 uh, of Days of Thunder. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll be back in two weeks for our next stop down Thunder Road. See you then. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present, with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars